Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning, and it's the last Sunday before Thanksgiving, so afterwards, uh, make sure as you're chatting over coffee to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving this week. Um, I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, and we are continuing our journey in Matthew 25. Um, Last week, we began that sermon talking about the kingdom of God. Today, we're looking at the, the latter half of Matthew 25, thinking about the kingdom of God and faithfulness and industriousness um, in the kingdom. And so today, as we look at that together, I want to pray for us. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, all that we have comes from you. Give us eyes to see the ways that uh, we might offer back to you what's yours for the glory of your kingdom. Amen. So our, our culture has a really strange relationship to money. It can be a real source of guilt or shame. It can be something that really weighs down on you. Uh, it can be a source of pride. But we, we often have some way of feeling about it. Uh, it is not purely neutral. Um, and so I, it can be a real idol. Um, but we actually do need it to accomplish things. It is a tool. Uh, and so setting aside any language about guilt or shame this morning around money. Uh, I do want to talk about money and how we use it this morning. Um, I haven't done a a stewardship sermon in the past, uh, but I wanted to think a little bit this morning with our passage about how we use money. And I think the gospel passage this morning really gives some helpful framework to thinking about how we steward God's gifts to us, um, even even the financial ones. So not just about money. There are many gifts that we have to steward, but money uh, is one of them. Last week's parable was about being ready for the kingdom of God. We talked about the parable of the, the five young women and the five wise women who had their, their lamps ready for the bridegroom. And the parable today is about uh, the coming kingdom as well, but it's about faithfulness. It's about stewardship in that kingdom and when you think about all of the areas of the you have in your life all of them including financial um, all of those have the potential to be places of investment in the kingdom of god how we use our time how we steward our resources how we discern the gifts that god has given us and how we use all those things to invest in his work here and now and so stewarding our resources well is this acknowledgement that all of our gifts that we have come from the Lord. They're actually God's resources. Uh, And so we have this opportunity to partner in God's kingdom work with what he's doing and so receive joy as we steward his uh, resources faithfully. So Jesus tells this story about a rich landowner. And this rich landowner is going on a journey. This also occurs in the Gospel of Luke as well. He entrusts part of the property that he has to his slaves. Slaves were very common in the first century. No one would have batted an eye about hearing this. It wouldn't have felt odd. Uh, to one of his slaves, that, as he was going on this journey, he gives him five talents. Uh, the other two, he gives two talents. These are monetary 
uh, um, values, not, not like the way we use talent. And to the last one, he gives one talent. And he returns to the slaves after going on a long journey to see how they've done with the resources that he's given them. When the master comes back, the slave that received five talents has earned five more. The slave that, earned, that had two talents earned two more. This third slave tells him two interesting things. First, he complains about the character of the master. First, he says, I know that you are a harsh man and that you reap where you do not sow and you gather where you don't scatter. So I was afraid. And, and because of that um, allegation about the master's character, the slave decides to hide his one talent in the ground uh, and then give it back to the master. Because of that allegation about the master's character, if that were true, then this slave should have given that uh, should have used that one talent um, to try and earn something on it to give back to the master. If the master were that kind of a master, then wouldn't it be better to just invest this in some way to at least gain a little bit of interest? Not that you have to double it, but just something. Instead, the master sees through the excuses. Like, these aren't real things. He's just criticizing because he's actually lazy. Uh, and on top of that, now he's slanderous, too. And so the master sees through it, and he says, uh, you know, you slanderous, lazy servant, other words. But, like, that's the idea, is I see through this. It's not really about me being harsh or cruel. You would have acted differently if it was. And so the slave has been cast out uh, into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's very extreme. This is a parable. Uh, and, and the parable, what it does is it focuses our attention on judgment. Um, and, and that's half the story, right? Like there are other parables that focus on us on the grace of God. Um, but this parable is teaching us something about stewardship in light of Jesus's kingship. So Jesus is king. All things come from God. All things are going to go to God. And we're called the kingdom stewardship. And, and we have all these unique uh, gifts to offer back to God's kingdom service. And we don't want to think that this is out of obligation. Um, but it's a deep desire to see creation restored. To see the kingdom come. So I know that um, in talking about this parable, again, I, I mentioned it's half the story because what I'm not saying is if you don't, share your resources appropriately, then you risk hellfire. Uh, that would not be what I want you to take away today, because again, there is grace here. But what he's saying is the kingdom of God is coming. Uh, the kingdom of God is coming, and you have an opportunity with the things that God has given you to invest in the ways that God is at work in restoring creation. And so there is joy in, in investing in the kingdom of God with, with the resources, the gifts, um, and what God has given us. And we steward them. I love that prayer in, in the end of Psalm 90. You know, teach us to number our days. Right? There's a stewardship that we have, even in accounting for the days that we have. As we think about our days, teach us to number our days. May we take an accounting of, uh, of what we have with the time we have. So that we can offer it back to you and invest in the kingdom. Again, this passage is about more than money. It's about stewarding God's resources, but that also includes financial ones. Um, and I want to share with you a little bit this morning about the grace of God uh, in the story of this church. 
So I think it's helpful if, if you've just come recently to hear a little bit about where we're going, or where we've come from. Back in 2019, so before the pandemic, I, I shared back then with Bishop John, uh, several of the local priests, about what my wife and I were discerning God calling us to do. Uh, I wanted to plant a church. I wanted to start something brand new that would serve the Franconia and Springfield regions of Northern Virginia. Um, problem is, nobody wanted to be a parent church for me at the time. Uh, so I didn't get to have a parent church that said, hey, we want to like support you, give you people. Nobody was around to do that. So what, what we had to do is, I still felt like God was calling us to do this. Like this needed to happen. And so how are we going to do it? And so one of the things that we did with our diocese, we created this memorandum of understanding where um, the diocese actually directly gave us um, back office support. And that was new for them. It was new for me. And unless we just wanted to be like a house church of 10 to 20 people where I drew my salary from outside the church, that meant that we had to find money to do this. Um, I didn't sense that God was calling me to pastor a house church of 10 to 20 people where I drew my income outside the church. And so we needed to figure out how are we going to um, fund this dream uh, that God's calling us to. So that began a fundraising campaign for the church, which is actually ongoing. I still have outside supporters. I asked people at that point back in 2019 all over the country. I'm talking friends relatives, and, and not just all over the country, but actually a, a few international ones. We took a trip to the UK, and I connected with some old friends, and they joined our support team. And so early on, um, there were a lot of people praying for this, uh, and a lot of people giving towards something that did not yet exist. Um, and in the beginning, I had to raise $40,000 before the diocese would even let me sign a contract with them. So from the very beginning, we had no people, no money. And it took about four months, but we raised the $40,000. That came from a mix of grants and donations. Some people had asked early on, you know, why don't you go full time? Where are you going to get a building? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, when are you going to hire staff? And I was like, you know, we can do whatever we want. But the reality is, one, God's got to call us to do it. And, and two... We have to raise the money ourselves. Uh, there is no overarching body that will just give us that. And so we can do whatever we want if God's calling us to do it and if we raise the money. And, and so we just had to discern and, and figure out how to do what was scalable and, and faithful with the resources we had at any point along that journey. And so when we began the church, there was less than 10 people. It was a pandemic. We started online. There was this awkward four months where all of you had seen each other on screens but had never met each other in person. Um, and 80% of our giving came from outside the church, maybe more. Um, and again, those were just family and friends across the country that wanted to see whatever was going to happen come to fruition. They wanted to see a church that would actually serve that region, and nobody knew what that would look like. And so one, one of the things that, and we'll share more about this on the 10th of the annual meeting, but just looking back at like the last three months, one of the things that really encourages me is we've received some extra money in grants, money that I didn't budget for from other churches in our diocese 
who want to see us do well. Um, and so we, as the church here, steward those resources. Um, other people are investing in us in this church. Um, and then also, the other thing that encourages me, grants aside, if you look at the last three months, three quarters of our income comes from you. Three quarters of our income now comes from you. It's completely flip-flopped from the beginning. And, um, and only about a quarter comes still from outside the church. And that, that's a really cool mark of discipleship. You are, you're seeing God's work here. You're seeing the opportunity to give financially. is this opportunity to partner with God in his kingdom work um, in what he's doing here in this church. And so when you think about it, you know, as you think back, I was looking back at our parish register, you know, almost 15 people who were baptized here in these last few years, some of whom were adults. And, um, and so thinking back to baptisms, the confirmations, uh, the formation groups that have happened, the Sunday services, the ability to have coffee and do hospitality and have snacks, the, the retreats, the outreach events, like all these things require investment. They require investment of time on your part to actually block it out in your schedule. They require an investment of your unique gifts. Um, some of you are really good at administration. Some of you bring the party, and we need both. And, uh, and, so, and, and these all also require our financial gifts. Like That is the muscle that makes these things happen. And so when it, when it comes to finances, I don't want to have a culture of obligation or pressure around here, which is actually one of the reasons I refuse to do uh, pledge cards for general giving. Um, they feel to me strangely obligatory. Uh, so, and maybe that's a generational thing. I like them for targeted campaigns. So if we were trying to raise money for a building, be nice to know how much you're pledging, but for the operating budget, I don't do that. Um, what I do is I just, I pray, I look at our budget and, and I discern where's God calling us to go. What do we need to build out? Who do we need to reach? Who are we targeting? How are we going to grow in the Lord being our helper? And then I just make the budget in faith. And it seems to be okay so far. <laughs> and and in, in discernment with the vestry. But, you know, this is a, it is an act of faith and vision to do this budgeting process. Um, it is a seemingly earthly task, but it is also a very spiritual task of discernment to make the budget for the church. And and it's true for the church. It's also true for you as you guys sit and you think about your budget for the year and you ask God, where do we want to go as a household? What do you want me to invest in? All these sorts of things like your budget is actually kind of a spiritual examine in some ways about what you value about the kingdom of God. And so, you know, we're about to move upstairs. Next week is our last week in this space. Can you believe that? We are going to move upstairs. I'm really excited about it. And one of the things that I'm excited about is that um, we are saving a lot of money uh, to be able to do that, which means um, we don't have to spend money on things that don't move us forward. Um, we're not buying a new HVAC. We're not you know, paying to have um, uh, mold removed, uh, mold remediation. We're not paying for asbestos, whatever. Like, we don't have to spend money on anything like that. And so I think what God is calling us to spend more money on in the coming year is proper staffing around the people that we have 
discipleship, more of it, and, and, and more outreach. Like we have opportunities to reach out to our neighbors, and we can put money to that in ways that we couldn't uh, if, if our rent had gone up four or five times what we're paying now, which I thought it was going to. And so my, my joy and one of the burdens that I have as a vicar is to discern with the vestry how is God calling us to execute the vision of this church in ways that are sustainable, they're scalable with our size, that are in accordance with your unique gifts and abilities, that are in accordance with your capacities, that are in accordance with your desires and your passions. Um, because you are the church. I'm just here to help facilitate these things for you. And, and so I'm dreaming here, so I'm, I'm not saying that we will do this, but dream with me for a second. Um, imagine like throwing a block party at your house where the church might be able to subsidize a bounce house for you or a food truck uh, so that you can be a gospel presence in your neighborhood and get to know your neighbors by name. Like imagine having a music program where uh, someone has the capacity to lead uh, children's choirs or like classes that bring in neighbors into music classes, uh, young and uh, youth and adult choirs. I know that, so Ashley has been taking level two atrium training. And so imagine if we could resource a level two atrium where we have level one for ages three to five, level two for ages six to eight, so that kids can really dive into the deep mysteries of the faith through the liturgy at an age-appropriate way. Um, and we can expand those ministries, uh, with, with fill them with more children. And, and imagine having a robust women's ministry of discipleship that addresses people at all ages and stages of women at their lives, in, in their lives. And, and if we had, even just thinking about, if we had like a women's two-hour group each week where we had Bible study, we offered child care or prayer or something. If we offered child care for a two-hour group every week, that would, incross, it would incre increase our annual operating costs by $5,000 per year. So that's $5,000, right? Um, and I would much rather spend $5,000 on child care to make disciples than I would fixing a deteriorating space. Right. And so I, I love that we get to dream a little bit as we move into the new space. It feels kind of like a reset in some ways for us to ask, like, okay, now that God's given us this huge gift, what do we do with it? Um, and yeah, just being up there really allows us to dream about in the coming year, especially outreach and discipleship. Our church actually gives 10.1% back to our diocese every month. Um, the standard in our diocese is 5.1%. The ACNA standard is 10. And so I thought from the beginning we would do what the ACNA asks and give 10% back to the diocese because I believe that that is helping further the, the God's kingdom work in our diocese. And so we get to join in that with joy because their success as a diocese is our success. When new churches are planted, we join in rejoicing in that. And so, you know, again, even though it's not a new covenant obligation to, to give 10%, I talked about that a few weeks ago uh, with the concept of the tithe. 
in our household, we have used that as a guide, as a helpful guide to say, what would it be like to give 10%? So we've had to work up to that gradually in our household. Um, yeah, we have almost hit that. And so just for the sake of perspective, I want to do a little bit of math this morning with you. And if the average household, some are going to make more, some are going to make less. The average household made $100,000 and were to give just a minimum of 10%, then just from the households in our church, we would actually cover the entire operating budget of the church without needing to go outside the church for any more money, grants or outside support. So, and I know that everyone's in a different place. For some people, they may not be able to give at all uh, or less or more depending on life situation. Uh, And I understand that. And we are a community. We support each other uh, in whatever space we're at. And so it's really about the heart uh, posture, not the amount. Alexi had shared a story with me that he told me I could share as well. Um, During their family worship time, one of their kids felt led to give $7 out of their $9 allowance for the week. And and that money goes to a charity that their family is um, designated that they give to as a family. Uh, And that, looking at their child, who's decided I have $9 in my allowance, I feel led to to give seven of that. (laughs) 77% of my, 78% of my, of my weekly allowance to this charity um, you know, that, that is the heart of a cheerful giver. And so the posture is about listening to how the Spirit leads um, so that we have a joyful response to what he's doing. It's not about the amount as much as it's just saying, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? How can I be a part of that? And what percentage would you lead me to give? And so, you know, whether a portion of your income or if that's too hard right now, a portion of something else, of some other resource that you have, take time to wonder with God, uh, wonder in prayer about what he's given you that you might offer back to him. What has God given you? What would it take to get there as far as what you want to give? You know, again, the financial and the other resources we have are this They're a joyful way to partner with God, with what God's doing in his kingdom as we become the church and as we help others come in and become the body of Christ with us. Again, this is your church, right? Like my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so um, and so this is your investment in your church, this little slice of the kingdom of heaven And, and all these different spheres of our lives are opportunity to invest in what God's doing. And again, one of those important things is financial stewardship. You could also think, I know some people are really good at woodworking, uh, and as CGS comes up, like one of the things that I got for Christmas was a circular saw so that I could help build some of the CGS materials, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, I know Stephen's going to be helping me hang a 120-inch hanging projector screen in the new space. Like, that is a gift. Um, and, you know, so what, what things do you have that you can offer back to the Lord and his service at this church? Our church's story, I think, lends itself to being a testimony of grace. Um, because we are a story of the faithfulness of the stewardship of God's people. Um, people have given so much. When I look back to see this church grow, to see this church mature, 
uh, and it's true financially. It's also true that people are using their gifts to, to teach, to open their homes up, to do hospitality, again, to do woodwork, to paint, uh, to send me swatches um, for thinking about painting the new space, to write legal documents, all kinds of gifts uh, that you have, that you have given that this church might grow and become a testimony to God's grace in this community. And so the fruit of that is you, as you think about that. The fruit of that is you and hearing your testimonies of God's grace in your story. Like as you sit around during your formation groups or over coffee and you share stories of grace with one another, that moment is a fruit of the investment that you all have been making in this church. And so we together are building this testament to God's grace, a church that's going to serve this region, that's going to have resources to reach out to this region, to bring them into the love of God in Christ. Um, We have a beautiful liturgy that adorns the gospel of God. And we get to bring people into that. And we have a people now who can incarnate the love of God where they live and where they work and where they play. And so how is God calling us to steward his gifts this morning? Something that we should consider on a regular basis as you're making budgets, as you're planning your schedule, as you are discerning who you are, how you're wired, what gives you energy. Consider how all those things come from the Lord and how they can come back, go back to him. And, and so when we do that, when we invest in the kingdom of God, the joys of others become our joys. The sorrows of others become our sorrows because we are investing together. We are united together. Um, we're investing in one another for the praise of the Lord who sits enthroned as king. And so as we look for God's kingdom to come, just like in this parable, let's prepare um, by faithfulness as we steward all the gifts that God has given to us. Let's pray. Merciful creator, your loving hand is open wide to satisfy the needs of every living creature. Make us always thankful for your loving providence and give us grace to honor you with all that you have entrusted to us, that we remembering the account we must one day give may be faithful stewards of your good gifts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.